Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, at the webalchemist.net, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today's quite a mishmash. We've got lots to cover. Um, I'm still going to focus on the key areas of the election, 2020 election, and the COVID and vaccine situation. But there's a few other things that I really want to just briefly mention as well. So today is the 2nd of October 2021, and the title of today's show is Red October, Precipice, and more on the movie. So just let me run through a few things here, because Red October was mentioned many times in Q-drops, and a lot of the Anons are really jumping on this and hoping that the Red October is going to be this month with a lot of exposure, a lot of intel and so on coming out. So we've had quite a few signs that it might be this October. Um, Anons were reporting that the White House was lit up with red light. And we know that Scavino does a lot of comms on Twitter. And one of the Anons, I can't remember where I saw it now, but had posted that uh, Scavino should uh, post a tweet with an eagle if it, the day before, say, my fellow Americans, which seems to be the trigger for all of this deep state nonsense to basically fall apart. We'll have to wait and see about that. We've also had some very odd things happen with uh, Biden again. We saw him getting a booster shot on TV, and it turned out that that was a, a stage set. Um, people suspected that uh, before they actually released a photo of it showing that this was a stage set and it had an audience there next to it. So that's very odd as well. And, of course, people say, well, did he really get the booster or did he not? Um, we've had the announcement that... Edward Snowden, Gateway Pundit, reports that U.S. court vindicates patriot Edward Snowden. This was published yesterday on the 1st. Edward Snowden is a patriot. He's not a traitor. He's a legitimate whistleblower. And in a surprising decision last September, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit said the warrantless telephone dragnet that secretly collected millions of Americans' telephone records violated the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act and may well have been unconstitutional. What's interesting is that this ruling comes just as we're seeing a report from Inspector General Horwich. And this is Epoch Times. Inspector General Audit finds widespread problems with FBI's FISA applications. And again, it's a long uh, article, so I'm not going to read it all, but Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz issued a report on September 30th on the FBI's applications to surveil U.S. citizens, finding widespread failure that raises serious questions and criticizing agents for not fixing flaws spotted in previous audits. 
So I think the um, walls are closing in between what Durham is doing in terms of the Sussman indictment that I covered last week and there will be more subpoenas um, issued to Perkins Coy, the um, the legal firm that Sussman works for. So I think we're seeing these um, legal moves coming from different sides, but all dealing with the same basic issues of Pfizer irregularities. So we'll have to see how that plays out. We've got the January 6th story falling apart as some of the capital video footage is being released. Um, the police tried to block it, but the judge in the case overruled that. And then we've got school boards asking Biden admin to treat parents' protests as domestic terrorism. You really just can't make this stuff up. It's unbelievable. And this was reported by Epoch Times yesterday. National Organization of Public School Boards is calling on the Biden administration to protect its members from angry mobs of parents who protest against COVID-19 restrictions placed on students and the teaching of critical race theory, characterizing the protests as domestic terrorism. So what we're seeing is this um, totalitarian tyranny coming out more and more into the public eye, um, undeniably, with the way that these um, far-left school boards calling for um, teachers to be labelled domestic terrorists. We've got the Biden administration and all associated with him uh, calling for Trump supporters to be labelled domestic terrorists or anybody that criticises anything that this government or resident uh, government is doing. So I think we really are getting to the precipice where people see this tyranny spreading more and more. Uh, Biden made a speech at the beginning of the week saying, you know, we're losing patience. And uh, I've already said in previous shows, you know, he talks about the pandemic of the unvaccinated when in actual fact the pandemic, if you can call it that, which you probably can't, is all with the vaccinated, I'm going to uh, cover some of that in terms of the numbers that are coming out of cases in the vaccinated. And you've got more celebrities, particularly there's been some sporting celebrities coming out and saying, no, they're not going to take this experimental vaccine um, and that they should have freedom of choice. The other thing, just moving on to focus on the COVID situation. It seems that the announcement that the Pfizer vaccine was approved is actually questionable. This is from um, the DC Patriot and the title is the Pfizer vaccine wasn't FDA approved. The media is just claiming it is and this is from August 30th. Um, the fervour with which our government and media have been pushing this untested experimental gene therapy on the populace is as suspicious as it is concerning. But now they have the battle cry of it's FDA approved. So it's completely safe. Oh, is it? While the media ran with the story that the Pfizer show was FDA approved, the truth is that it's not. 
They never had a public forum to discuss the myriad of side effects and death, nor completed the stage 3 trials required for approval per the FDA's own parameters. What the FDA did approve, however, was the license application for an unavailable renamed version of the Pfizer vaccine called Comirnaty. You see, if the FDA had actually approved the Pfizer shot, like the media is claiming, then all the other vaccines would lose their emergency use status immediately and would have to be pulled per the FDA's own guidelines. Instead, they've created some weird legal limbo so they can continue to unroll these shots out under the extended emergency use they just gave it without fear of being sued for killing or injuring people. Truth is, if the Pfizer shot doesn't receive proper full FDA approval by September 30th, countries across the globe can get out of their predatory contract with Pfizer as it's the only this English is really poor, as it's the only thing they legally can. I think it's um, written very badly. We'll see if they get legally challenged then. Meanwhile, I suspect they'll go into overtime trying to see how many people they can inject before that time is up. And I also saw a short video which was saying that under the terms of this announcement of the so-called FDA approval, um, Pfizer had to produce within 14 days a list of all the ingredients in the vaccine, which would then have to be included on the insert and also on the actual vial itself. And um, that, I haven't seen anything to say whether that was actually done or not, but I think there's, again, this is... um, It's been referred to as bait and switch, smoke and mirrors, to allow or to make it seem like that these vaccine mandates and vaccine passports can be introduced now that the jab is so-called approved. So I want to move on to um, an interesting article. This is from Zero Hedge, and it's a reprint of something called a Spartacus letter. The title is, Damn you to hell, you will not destroy America. Here is the Spartacus COVID letter that's gone viral. And this was published on Monday, the 27th. And it's via the Automatic Earth blog. And it says, This is an anonymously posted document by someone who calls himself Spartacus. Because it's anonymous, I can't contact them to ask for permission to publish. So I hesitated for a while. But it's simply the best document I've seen on COVID, vaccines, etc. Whoever Spartacus is, they have a very elaborate knowledge in the field. If you want to know a lot more about the number one issue in the world today, read it. And don't worry if you don't understand every single word, neither do I. But I learned a lot and it then links to the original PDF document, COVID-19, the Spartacus letter. Hello, my name is Spartacus, and I've had enough. We've been forced to watch America and the free world spin into inexorable decline due to a bio-warfare attack. 
we, along with countless others, have been victimised and gaslit by propaganda and psychological warfare operations being conducted by an unelected, unaccountable elite against the American people and our allies. Our mental and physical health have suffered immensely over the course of the past year and a half. We have felt the sting of isolation, lockdown, masking, quarantines and other completely nonsensical acts of healthcare theatre that have done absolutely nothing to protect the health or well-being of the public from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Now we are watching the medical establishment inject literal poison into millions of our fellow Americans without so much as a fight. We've been told that we will be fired and denied our livelihoods if we refuse to vaccinate. This was the last straw. We have spent thousands of hours analysing leaked footage from Wuhan, scientific papers from primary sources, as well as the paper trails left by the medical establishment. What we have discovered would shock anyone to their core. First, we will summarise our findings and then we will explain them in detail. References will be placed at the end. Summary. COVID-19 is a blood and blood vessel disease. SARS-CoV-2 infects the lining of human blood vessels, causing them to leak into the lungs. Current treatment protocols, e.g. invasive ventilation, are actively harmful to patients, accelerating oxidative stress and causes severe, causing severe VILI, ventilator-induced lung in injuries. The continued use of ventilators in the absence of any proven medical benefit constitutes mass murder. Existing countermeasures are inadequate to slow the spread of what is an aerosolized and potentially wastewater-borne virus and constitute a form of medical theatre. Various non-vaccine interventions have been suppressed by both the media and the medical establishment in favour of vaccines and expensive patented drugs. The authorities have denied the usefulness of natural immunity against COVID-19, despite the fact that natural immunity confers protection against all of the virus's proteins, and not just one. Vaccines will do more harm than good. The antigen that these vaccines are based on, SARS-CoV-2 spike, is a toxic protein. SARS-CoV-2 may have ADE, or antibody-dependent enhancement, currently Antibodies may not neutralise future strains, but instead help them infect immune cells. Also, vaccinating during a pandemic with a leaky vaccine removes the evolutionary pressure for a virus to become less lethal. There is a vast and appalling criminal conspiracy that directly links both Anthony Fauci and Moderna to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. COVID-19 vaccine researchers are directly linked to scientists involved in brain-computer interface, neural lace tech, one of whom was indicted for taking grant money from China. Independent researchers have discovered mysterious nanoparticles inside the vaccines that are not supposed to be present. The entire pandemic is being used as an excuse for a vast political and economic transformation of Western society that will enrich the already rich and turn the rest of us into serfs and untouchables. COVID-19 Pathophysiology and Treatments COVID-19 is not a viral pneumonia. It is a viral vascular 
leitis and attacks the lining of blood vessels, particularly the small pulmonary alveolar capillaries, leading to endothelial cell activation and sloughing, coagulopathy, sepsis, pulmonary edema, and ARDS, I don't know what that is, ARDS, like symptoms. This is a disease of the blood and blood vessels, the circulatory system. Any pneumonia that it causes is secondary to that. In severe cases, this leads to sepsis, blood clots and multiple organ failure, including hypoxic and inflammatory damage to various vital organs such as the brain, heart, liver, pancreas, kidneys and intestines. Some of the most common laboratory findings in COVID-19 are elevated D-dimer, elevated prothrombin time, elevated C-reactive protein, neutrophilia, lymphopenia, hypocalcemia and hyperferritinemia. I have no idea what these are, but anyway. Essentially matching a profile of coagulopathy and immune system hyperactivation, immune cell exhaustion. COVID-19 can present as almost anything due to the wide tropism of SARS-CoV-2 for various tissues in the body's vital organs. While its most common initial presentation is respiratory illness and flu-like symptoms, it can present as brain inflammation, gastrointestinal disease or even heart attack or pulmonary embolism. COVID-19 is more severe in those with specific comorbidities such as obesity, diabetes and hypertension. This is because these conditions involve endothelial dysfunction which renders the circulatory system more susceptible to infection and injury by this particular virus. The vast majority of COVID-19 cases are mild and do not cause significant disease. In known cases, there is something known as the 80-20 rule, where 80% of cases are mild and 20% are severe or critical. However, this ratio is only correct for known cases, not all infections. The number of actual infections is much, much higher. Consequently, the mortality and morbidity rate is lower. However, COVID-19 spreads very quickly, meaning that there are a significant number of severely ill and critically ill patients appearing in a short time frame. In those who have critical COVID-19-induced sepsis, hypoxia, coagulopathy and ARDS, the most common treatments are intubation, injected corticosteroids and blood thinners. This is not the correct treatment for COVID-19. In severe hypoxia, cellular metabolic shifts cause ATP to break down into hypoxanthine, which, upon the reintroduction of oxygen, causes xanthine oxidase to produce tons of highly damaging radicals that attack tissue. This is called ischemia reperfusion injury, and it's why the majority of people who go on a ventilator are dying. In the mitochondria, succinate buildup due to sepsis does the exact thing. When oxygen is reintroduced, it makes, makes superoxide radicals. Make no mistake, intubation will kill people who have COVID-19. The end stage of COVID-19 is severe lipid peroxide peroxidation, where fats in the body start to rust due to damage by oxidative stress. 
This drives autoimmunity. Oxidized lipids appear as foreign objects to the immune system, which recognizes and forms antibodies against OSEs, or oxidation-specific epitopes. Also, oxidized lipids feed directly into pattern recognition receptors, triggering even more inflammation and summoning even more cells of the innate immune system that release even more destructive enzymes. This is similar to the pathophysiology of lupus. COVID-19's pathology is dominated by extreme oxidative stress and neutrophil respiratory burst to the point where hemoglobin becomes incapable of carrying oxygen due to heme iron being stripped out of heme by hypochlorous acid. No amount of supplemental oxygen can oxygenate blood that chemically refuses to bind oxygen. The breakdown of the pathology is as follows. SARS-CoV-2 spike binds to ACE2. Angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 is an enzyme that is part of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, or RAAS. The RAAS is a hormone control system that moderates fluid volume in the body and in the bloodstream, i.e. osmolarity, by controlling salt retention and excretion. This protein, ACE2, is ubiquitous in every part of the body that interfaces with the circulatory system, particularly in vascular endothelial cells and pericytes, brain astrocytes, renal tubules and podocytes, pancreatic islet cells, bile duct and intestinal epithelial cells, and the seminiferous ducts of the testis, all of which SARS-CoV-2 can infect, not just the lungs. This is quite a challenge in terms of pronunciation, I have to say. SARS-CoV-2 infects a cell as follows. SARS-CoV-2 spike undergoes a conformational change where the S1 trimmers flip up and extend, locking onto ACE2 bound to the surface of a cell. TMPRSS2, or transmembrane protease serine 2, comes along and cuts off the heads of the spike, exposing the S2 stalk-shaped subunit inside. The remainder of the spike undergoes a conformational change that causes it to unfold like an extension ladder embedding itself in the cell membrane. Then it folds back upon itself, pulling the viral membrane and the cell membrane together. The two membranes fuse with the virus's proteins migrating out onto the surface of the cell. The SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid enters the cell, disgorging its genetic material and beginning the viral replication process, hijacking the cell's own structures to produce more virus. SARS-CoV-2 spike proteins embedded in a cell can actually cause human cells to fuse together, forming syncytia MGCs, multinuclear giant cells. They also have other pathogenic harmful effects. SARS-CoV-2's viroporins, such as its envelope protein, act as calcium ion channels, introducing calcium into infected cells. The virus suppresses the natural interferon response, resulting in delayed inflammation. 
SARS-CoV-2 N protein can also directly activate the NLRP3 inflammasome. Also, it suppresses the NRF2 antioxidant pathway. The suppression of ACE2 by binding with spike causes a buildup of bradykinin that would otherwise be broken down by ACE2. This constant calcium influx into the cells results in or is accompanied by noticeable hypocalcemia or low blood calcium, especially in people with vitamin D deficiencies and pre-existing endothelial dysfunction. Bradykinin upregulates CAMP, CGMP, COX and phospholipase C activity. This results in prostaglandin release and vastly increased intracellular calcium signaling, which promotes highly aggressive ROS release and ATP depletion. NADPH oxidase releases superoxide into the extracellular space. Superoxide radicals react with nitric oxide to form peroxynitrate. Peroxynitrate, oh sorry, nitrite, reacts with the tetrahydrobiopterin cofactor needed by endothelial nitric oxide synthase, destroying it and uncoupling the enzymes, causing nitric oxide synthase to synthesize more superoxide instead. This proceeds in a positive feedback loop until nitric oxide bioavailability in the circulatory system is depleted. Now, I know this is very technical and it's quite a long article, but I think it's important to understand more about the nature of this disease. So, carrying on, dissolved nitric oxide gas produced constantly by ENOS serves many important functions, but it is also antiviral against SARS-like coronaviruses, preventing the palmitoylation of the viral spike protein and making it harder for it to bind to host receptors. The loss of nitric oxide allows the virus to begin replicating with impunity in the body. Those with endothelial dysfunction, i.e. hypertension, diabetes, obesity, old age, African-American race, have redox equilibrium issues to begin with, giving the virus an advantage. Due to the extreme cytokine release triggered by these processes, the body summons a great deal of neutrophils and monocyte-derived alveolar macrophages to the lungs. Cells of the innate immune system are the first-line defenders against pathogens. They work by engulfing invaders and trying to attack them with enzymes that produce powerful oxidants like SOD and MPO. Superoxide dismutase takes superoxide and makes hydrogen peroxide, and myeloperoxidase takes hydrogen peroxide and chlorine ions and makes hypochlorous acid, which is many, many times more reactive than sodium hypochlorite bleach. Neutrophils have a nasty trick. They can also eject these enzymes into the extracellular space, where they will continuously spit out peroxide and bleach into the bloodstream. This is called neutrophil extracellular trap formation, or when it becomes pathogenic and counterproductive, netosis, N-E-T-osis. In severe and critical COVID-19, there is actually rather severe netosis. 
Hypochlorous acid building up in the bloodstream begins to bleach the iron out of heme and compete for O2 binding sites. Red blood cells lose the ability to transport oxygen, causing the sufferer to turn blue in the face. Unliganded iron, hydrogen peroxide and superoxide in the bloodstream undergo the Haber, Weiss and Fenton reactions, producing extremely reactive hydroxyl radicals that violently strip electrons from surrounding fats and DNA, oxidizing them severely. This condition is not unknown to medical science. The actual name for all of this is acute sepsis. We know this is happening in COVID-19 because people who have died of the disease have noticeable foroptosis signatures in their tissues, as well as various other oxidative stress markers such as nitrotyrosine, 4-HNE and malondialdehyde. When you intubate somebody with this condition, you are setting off a free radical bomb by supplying the cells with O2. It's a catch-22 because we need oxygen to make adenosine triphosphate, that is, to live, but O2 is also the precursor of all these damaging radicals that lead to lipid peroxidation. The correct treatment for severe COVID-19-related sepsis is non-invasive ventilation, steroids, and antioxidant infusions. Most of the drugs repurposed for COVID-19 that show any benefit whatsoever in rescuing critically ill COVID-19 patients are antioxidants, N-acetylcysteine, melatonin, fluvoxamine, budesonide, famotidine, cimetidine and ranitidine are all antioxidants. Indomethacin prevents iron-driven oxidation of arachidonic acid to isoprostanes. There are powerful antioxidants such as aposinin that have not even been tested on COVID-19 patients yet, which could defang neutrophils, prevent lipid peroxidation, restore endothelial health and restore oxygenation to the tissues. Scientists who know anything about pulmonary neutrophilia, ARDS, and redox biology have known or surmised much of this since March 2020. In April 2020, Swiss scientists confirmed that COVID-19 was a vascular endotheliitis. By late 2020, experts had already concluded that COVID-19 causes a form of viral sepsis. They also know that sepsis can be effectively treated with antioxidants. None of this information is particularly new, and yet for the most part it has not been acted upon. Doctors continue to use damaging intubation techniques with high PEEP settings despite high lung compliance and poor oxygenation, killing an untold number of critically ill patients with medical malpractice. Because of the way they are constructed, randomised control trials will never show any benefit for any antiviral against COVID-19. Not remdesivir, not caletra, not HCQ and not ivermectin. The reason for this is simple. For the patients that they have recruited for these studies, such as Oxford's ludicrous recovery study, the, ent- the intervention is too late to have any positive effect. The clinical course of COVID-19 is such that by the time most people seek medical attention for hypoxia, their viral load has already tapered off to almost nothing. 
If someone is about 10 days post-exposure and has already been symptomatic for five days, there is hardly any virus left in their bodies, only cellular damage and derangement that has initiated a hyperinflammatory response. It is from this group that the clinical trials for antivirals have recruited pretty much exclusively. In these trials, they give antivirals to severely ill patients who have no virus in their bodies, only a delayed hyperinflammatory response, and then absurdly claim that antivirals have no utility in treating or preventing COVID-19. These clinical trials do not recruit people who are pre-symptomatic. They do not test pre-exposure or post-exposure prophylaxis. This is like using a defibrillator to shock only flatline and then absurdly claiming that defibrillators have no medical utility whatsoever when the patients refuse to rise from the dead. The intervention is too late. These trials for antivirals show systematic egregious selection bias. They are providing a treatment that is futile to the specific cohort they are enrolling. India went against the instructions of the WHO and mandated the prophylactic use of ivermectin. They have almost completely eradicated COVID-19. The Indian Bar Association of Mumbai has brought criminal charges against WHO chief scientist Dr. Sumaya Swaminathan for recommending against the use of ivermectin. Ivermectin is not horse dewormer. Yes, it is sold in veterinary paste form as a dewormer for animals. It has also been available in pill form for humans for decades as an antiparasitic drug. The media have disingenuously claimed that because ivermectin is an antiparasitic drug, it has no utility as an antivirus. This is incorrect. Ivermectin has a utility as an antiviral. It blocks importing, preventing nuclear import, effectively inhibiting viral access to cell nuclei. Many drugs currently on the market have multiple modes of action. Ivermectin is one such drug. It is both antiparasitic and antiviral. In Bangladesh, ivermectin costs $1.80 for an entire five-day course. Remdesivir, which is toxic to the liver, costs $3,120 for a five-day course of the drug. Billions of dollars of utterly useless remdesivir were sold to our governments on the taxpayer's dime, and it ended up being totally useless for treating hyperinflammatory COVID-19. The media has hardly even covered this at all. The opposition to the use of ivermectin is not based in science. It is purely financially and politically motivated. An effective non-vaccine intervention would jeopardise the rushed FDA approval of patented vaccines and medicines for which the pharmaceutical industry stands to rake in billions upon billions of dollars in sales on an ongoing basis. The majority of the public are scientifically illiterate and cannot grasp what any of this even means, thanks to a pathetic educational system that has miseducated them. You would be lucky to find one in a hundred people who have even the faintest clue what any of this actually means. COVID-19 transmission. COVID-19 is airborne. The WHO carried water for China by claiming that the virus was only droplet-borne. Our own CDC absurdly claimed that it was mostly transmitted by fomite-to-face contact, which, given its rapid spread from Wuhan to the rest of the world, would have been physically impossible. 
The ridiculous belief in fomite to face being a primary mode of transmission led to the use of surface disinfection protocols that wasted time, energy, productivity and disinfectant. The six-foot guidelines are absolutely useless. The minimum safe distance to protect oneself from an aerosolized virus is to be 15 plus feet away from an infected person, no closer. Realistically, no public transit is safe. Surgical masks do not protect you from aerosols. The virus is too small and the filter media has too large of gaps to filter it out. They may catch respiratory droplets and keep the virus from being expelled by someone who is sick, but they do not filter a cloud of infectious aerosols if someone were to walk into said cloud. The minimum level of protection against this virus is quite literally a P100 respirator, a PAPR stroke CAPR or a 40 millimeter NATO CBRN respirator, ideally paired with a full body Tyvek or Tychem suit, gloves and booties with all the holes and gaps taped. Live SARS-CoV-2 may potentially be detected in sewage outflows and there may be oral fecal transmission. During the SARS outbreak in 2003 in the Amoy Gardens incident, hundreds of people were infected by aerosolized fecal matter rising from floor drains in their apartments. COVID-19 vaccine dangers. The vaccines for COVID-19 are not sterilizing and do not prevent infection or transmission. They are leaky vaccines. This means they remove the evolutionary pressure on the virus to become less lethal. It also means that the vaccinated are perfect carriers. In other words, those who are vaccinated are a threat to the unvaccinated, not the other way around. All of the COVID-19 vaccines currently in use have undergone minimal testing with highly accelerated cl clinical trials. Though they appear to limit severe illness, the long-term safety profile of these vaccines remains unknown. Some of these so-called vaccines utilize an untested new technology that has never been used in vaccines before. Traditional vaccines use weakened or killed virus to stimulate an immune response. The Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech vaccines do not they are purported to consist of an intramuscular shot containing a suspension of lipid nanoparticles filled with messenger RNA. The way they generate a re an immune response is by fusing with cells in a vaccine recipient's shoulder, undergoing endocytosis, releasing their mRNA cargo into those cells, and then utilizing the ribosomes in those cells to synthesize modified SARS-CoV-2 spike proteins in situ. These modified spike proteins then migrate to the surface of the cell where they are anchored in place by a transmembrane domain. The adaptive immune system detects the non-human viral protein being expressed by these cells and then forms antibodies against that protein. This is purported to confer protection against the virus by training the adaptive immune system to recognize and produce antibodies against the spike on the actual virus. The J&J &J and AstraZeneca vaccines do something similar but use an adenovirus vector for genetic material delivery instead of a lipid nanoparticle. 
These vaccines were produced or validated with the aid of fetal cell lines, HEK293 and PERC6, which people with certain religious convictions may object strongly to. SARS-CoV-2 spike is a highly pathogenic protein on its own. It is impossible to overstate the danger presented by introducing this protein into the human body. It is claimed by vaccine manufacturers that the vaccine remains in cells in the shoulder and that SARS-CoV-2 spike produced and expressed by these cells from the vaccine's genetic material is harmless and inert, thanks to the insertion of prolines in the spike sequence to stabilise it in the pre-fusion conformation, preventing the spike from becoming active and fusing with other cells. However, a pharmacokinetic study from Japan showed that the lipid nanoparticles and mRNA from the Pfizer vaccine did not stay in the shoulder and in fact bioaccumulated in many different organs, including the reproductive organs and adrenal glands, meaning that modified spike is being expressed quite literally all over the place. These lipid nanoparticles may trigger anaphylaxis in an unlucky few, but far more concerning is the unregulated expression of spike in various somatic cell lines far from the injection site and the unknown consequences of that. Messenger RNA is normally consumed right after it is produced in the body, being translated into a protein by a ribosome. COVID-19 vaccine mRNA is produced outside the body long before a ribosome translates it. In the meantime, it could accumulate damage if inadequately preserved. When a ribosome attempts to translate a damaged strand of mRNA, it can become stalled. When this happens, the ribosome becomes useless for translating proteins because it now has a piece of mRNA stuck in it, like a lace card in an old punch card reader. The whole thing has to be cleaned up and new ribosomes synthesized to replace it. In cells with low ribosome turnover, like nerve cells, this can lead to reduced protein synthesis, cytopathic effects, and neuropathies. Certain proteins, including SARS-CoV-2 spike, have proteolytic cleavage sites that are basically like little dotted lines that say cut here, which attract a living organism's own proteases, essentially molecular scissors, to cut them. There is a possibility that S1 may be proteolytically cleaved from S2, causing active S1 to float away into the bloodstream while leaving the S2 stalk embedded in the membrane of, of the cell that expressed the protein. SARS-CoV-2 spike has a super antigenic region which may promote extreme inflammation. Anti-spike antibodies were found in one study to function as auto-antibodies and attack the body's own cells. Those who have been immunized with COVID-19 vaccines have developed blood clots, myocarditis, Guillain-Barr syndrome, Bell's palsy and multiple sclerosis flares, indicating that the vaccine promotes autoimmune reactions against healthy tissue. SARS-CoV-2 spike does not only bind to ACE2, it was suspected to have regions that bind to basigin integrins neuropolin 1 and bacterial lipopolysaccharides as well. SARS-CoV-2 spike on its own can potentially bind any of these things. 
and act as a ligand for them, triggering unspecified and likely highly inflammatory cellular activity. SARS-CoV-2 spike contains an unusual PRRA insert that forms a furin cleavage site. Furin is a ubiquitous human protease, making this an ideal property for the spike to have, giving it a high degree of cell tropism. No wild-type SARS-like coronaviruses related to SARS-CoV-2 possess this feature, making it highly suspicious and perhaps a sign of human tampering. SARS-CoV-2 spike has a prion-like domain that enhances its infectiousness. The spike S1 RBD may bind to heparin-binding proteins and promote amyloid aggregation. In humans, this could lead to Parkinson's, Lewy body dementia, premature Alzheimer's or various other neurodegenerative diseases. This is very concerning because SARS-CoV-2 S1 is capable of injuring and penetrating the blood-brain barrier and entering the brain. It is also incapable of increasing the permeability of the blood-brain barrier to other molecules. And in actual fact, I've just read a report uh, about a woman who had the vaccine and then died three months later of Creutzfeldt Jakob's disease, which is that equivalent of mad cow disease that we saw, well, quite a few years ago now. I'm going to skip over some of this now because it is very long. I hope I'm not boring you with all the uh, scientific uh, terms and everything. I'm going to say it's a bit over, it's very much over my head as well. There's, a, there's another section, it, it actually continues to um, in, cover the, likelihood that this was a um, lab-created virus, you know, gain of function, etc., etc., that Fauci has denied. And this particular section ends with, um, this leaves us with a chilling question. Did the FDA knowingly suppress antioxidants useful for treating COVID-19 sepsis as part of a criminal conspiracy against the American public? The establishment is cooperating with and facilitating the worst criminals in human history and are actively suppressing non-vaccine treatments and therapies in order to compel us to inject these criminals' products into our bodies. This is absolutely unacceptable. And then the next section talks about COVID-19 vaccine development and links to transhumanism. This section deals with some more speculative aspects of the pandemic and the medical and scientific establishment's reaction to it, as well as the disturbing links between scientists involved in vaccine research and scientists whose work involved merging nanotechnology with living cells. Okay, I'm going to jump down to the conclusion section. The current pandemic was produced and perpetuated by the establishment through the use of a virus engineered in a PLA-connected Chinese biowarfare laboratory with the aid of American taxpayer dollars and French expertise. This research was conducted under the absolutely ridiculous euphemism of gain-of-function research, which is supposedly carried out in order to determine which viruses have the highest potential for zoonotic spillover and preemptively vaccinate or guard against them. Gain-of-function, gain-of-threat research, a.k.a. dual-use research of concern, or DURC, is bioweapon research by another friendlier-sounding name, simply to avoid the taboo of calling it what it actually is. 
It has always been bioweapon research. The people who are conducting this research fully understand that they are taking wild pathogens that are not infectious in humans and making them more infections, infectious, often taking grants from military think tanks, encouraging them to do so. These virologists conducting this type of research are enemies of their fellow man, like paramaniac firefighters. Gain-of-function research has never protected anyone from any pandemic. In fact, it has now started one, meaning its utility for preventing pandemics is actually negative. It should have been banned globally, and the lunatics performing it should have been put in straitjackets long ago either through a leak or an intentional release from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a deadly SARS strain is now endemic across the globe after the WHO and CDC and public officials first downplayed the risks and then intentionally incited a panic and lockdowns that jeopardised people's health and their livelihoods. This was then used by the utterly depraved and psychopathic aristocrat class who rule over us as an excuse to coerce people into accepting an injected poison which may be a depopulation agent, a mind control stroke pacification agent in the form of injectable smart dust or both in one. They believe they can get away with this by weaponizing the social stigma of vaccine refusal. They are incorrect. Their motives are clear and obvious to anyone who's been paying attention. These megalomaniacs have raided the pension funds of the free world. Wall Street is insolvent and has had an ongoing liquidity crisis since the end of 2019. The aim now is to exert total full-spectrum physical, mental and financial control over humanity before we realise just how badly we've been extorted by these maniacs. The pandemic and its response serve multiple purposes for the elite. Concealing a depression brought on by the usurious plunder of our economies conducted by rentier capitalists and absentee owners who produce absolutely nothing of any value to society whatsoever. Instead of us having a very predictable Occupy Wall Street Part 2, the elites and their stooges got to stand up on television and paint themselves as wise and all-powerful saviours instead of the marauding cabal of despicable land pirates that they are destroying small businesses and eroding the middle class, transferring trillions of dollars of wealth from the American public and into the pockets of billionaires and special interests, engaging in insider trading, buying stock in biotech companies and shorting brick-and-mortar businesses and travel companies with the aim of collapsing face-to-face commerce and tourism and replacing it with e-commerce and servitization creating a casus belli for war with China, encouraging us to attack them, wasting American lives and treasure and driving us to the brink of nuclear Armageddon, establishing technological and biosecurity frameworks for population control and technocratic socialist smart cities where everyone's movements are despotically tracked, all in anticipation of widespread automation, joblessness and food shortages, by using the false guise of a vaccine to compel cooperation. Any one of these things would constitute a vicious rape of Western society. Taken together, they beg a belief. They are a complete inversion of our most treasured values. What is the purpose of all of this? One can only speculate as to the perpetrator's motives. However, we have some theories. 
The elites are trying to pull up the ladder, erase upward mobility for large sections of the population, cull political opponents and other undesirables, and put the remainder of humanity on a tight leash, rationing our access to certain goods and services that they have deemed high impact, such as automobile use, tourism, meat consumption, and so on. Naturally, they will continue to have their own luxuries as part of a strict caste system akin to feudalism. Why are they doing this? Simple. The elites are neo-Malthusians and believe that we are overpopulated and that resource depletion will collapse civilization in a matter of a few short decades. They are not necessarily incorrect in this belief. We are overpopulated and we are consuming too many resources. However, orchestrating such a gruesome and murderous power grab in response to a looming crisis demonstrates that they have nothing but the utmost contempt for their fellow man. To those who are participating in this disgusting farce without any understanding of what they are doing, we have one word for you. Stop. You are causing irreparable harm to your country and to your fellow citizens. To those who may be reading this warning and have full knowledge and understanding of what they are doing and how it will unjustly harm millions of innocent people, we have a few more words. Damn you to hell. You will not destroy America and the free world and you will not have your new world order. We will make certain of that. So interesting. Obviously, it must be written by a very, very medically uh, qualified person or group of people with all the details that have been included. Um, I would say that there is a question mark over whether you know, we're running out of resources and so on, because I think um, resources are deliberately kept from people, which is why we have third world countries. But um, anyway, I hope that's been useful. I hope it hasn't bored you to tears, because I know it's it's a very long treatise, as it were, and it's left me very little time for any other topics. So I'll just quickly move on with a summary of where we are with the Arizona um audit situation and also um, other counties as well just quickly looking at arizona the national file reports wendy rogers reads new declaration of independence letter demanding nationwide audits amid massive calls to decertify 2020 election and she's a real warrior um, this is national file tweeting uh, breaking Senator Wendy Rogers unveils letter signed by 41 state legislators from across the country calling for forensic audits in each state and urging their states to decertify the 2020 election if their audit results mirror those in Arizona. And then an important article from the Freedom Times, because this is critical and there's been some debate about this. Arizona Senate lawyer claims Senate can't decertify election results Matt DePerno schools him. Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers posted a legal opinion on Thursday which was submitted by attorney Matthew DePerno in response to an opinion published by an Arizona Senate lawyer who claimed there is no mechanism to decertify the 2020 general election. Arizona Senate lawyer Ken Berenger recently wrote an opinion claiming the Arizona Senate cannot decertify the election results but DePerno countered by writing in part, a state legislature has the authority to recall the state elector or decertify a national election 
upon proof of fraud in the election. Importantly, this does not require proof of all of the fraud. I think it's a bit like, you know, fraud vitiates everything. <clears throat> in light of the Beringer memo, we ask again whether a state legislature can recall the state electors or decertify a national election upon proof of fraud in the election. After again considering the constitutional authority of the state legislature, the constitution itself and U.S. Supreme Court authority and precedent, the answer is definitely yes, Matthew DePerno wrote in the memo. States have authority over their elections, including national elections. Congress has never undertaken to interfere with the manner of appointing electors or where, according to the new general usage, the mode of appointment prescribed by the law of the state is election by the people to regulate the conduct of such election or to punish any fraud in voting for electors, but has left these matters to the control of the states. It would be meaningless if, after giving full authority to the states over presidential electors, the state legislature could not, upon a proper showing, recall those electors to decertify a fraudulent election. It would be equally meaningless to suggest that all fraud must be discovered and presented by January 6th. As the Supreme Court said in Chiafolo Supra, the state has full authority absent some other constitutional constraint, he pointed out. Okay, so I won't read the rest of that. You've got the general gist. There's also activity going on in Delaware related to fraudulent ballots. Um, the same with Georgia. We've got Trump speaking out more and more about, um, you know, it didn't wouldn't take much to overturn the results of the election. So I do think things are hotting up and perhaps we will see um, Red October leading to um, much more actual action against this fraudulent election. So that's about all I have time for this week. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. I know it was a bit of heavy weather with that long report with all the medical stuff in it, but uh, I think it's important to understand what we're up against, certainly. So thank you for listening. I hope you join me next week for another show, another Cosmic Creating show. And just as a reminder, you can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com and on social media, um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Um, so I hope you'll have a wonderful week. There'll be more to report, no doubt, far more than I can manage to fit into this show. But it is very interesting to see all this play out and realise, yes, we are watching a movie, remember that. There's more and more exposure of Biden as being completely in, inept, incompetent. Um, we've got exposure of the generals who were responsible for the Afghanistan debacle. And even Nancy Pelosi being shown at a, an interview as if she was drunk and just acting in a particularly bizarre way. And then her and, uh, well... Biden taking her hand as they're walking down the corridor of power. So really, uh, it, it is um, a comedy as well as a drama that we're watching. So as I say, I hope you join me again next week. And in the meantime, be well, stay safe and bye for now. And also thank you, Nancy, for producing.